Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome back to episode 290 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. And I'm so excited that you are joining us today. Today, we're going to talk about a very interesting study that I recently read, and it's about the connection between erectile dysfunction and jealousy. But before I tell you about that, I know that I asked you guys for a month to tell us about what you want us to talk about, to tell us about what you like for us to do more. Because last time that we did this survey, overwhelming number of you guys wanted to learn more about sexual skills, like oral sex, anal sex, fingering. We talked about all of these things. I think in the last six months, we covered every single act that one can imagine. If we miss something that you wanted, email me and let me know. But it is very interesting. In this new round of survey, majority of the people wanted more information on performance anxiety and ejaculation and premature ejaculation and climax control. Lots of women contacted us in the survey and they said that they wish they could support their partner to last longer in bed. Many men wrote their stories of how their lack of sufficient erection has been impacting their confidence, their relationship. And you guys were so generous with the information. And for that reason, I decided to do several re- uh, several episodes on these topics. But more importantly, many of the challenges that you guys talked about, that was something that I talk every day with my clients and offer them very hands-on solutions, pun intended, in my office. I, I supported thousands of men with premature ejaculation, erectile dysfunction, kind of like arousal gap. And there are a number of things that you can do to resolve these issues and have connecting experiences with your partner. For that reason, I decided to do a live workshop. In this two-hour live workshop, I'm going to teach you three tactics that will help you feel control when you have an orgasm. So you can train yourself to have an orgasm sooner if you want, or if you want to last longer, I'll teach you some strategies to work toward that. I'm going to teach you five building blocks for getting and maintaining a firm erection. And more importantly, I'm going to teach you seven psychological proven techniques to drive your partner wild. Because it's for most of my clients, and I'm sure for most of you, you want to have a great time with your partner. So uh, yes, maybe having a firm erection can be part of that. But just so many different things that you can do with or in addition to, to increase pleasure in the bedroom. So if you are interested, you can attend this workshop. We have 30 minutes live question and answer. In advance, we'll send you a portal. You can ask your question or you can ask it during the 
group live workshop. If you are worried about the confidentiality, you can choose whatever Zoom name that you want to put out there. And you don't need to disclose your identity. If you don't want to, you can send me your questions confidential anonymously in the portal or come with pseudonym on the workshop. I don't care. It's different than therapy because in therapy, it's medical record. I have to have your name and address and all of that, which of course that is confidential as well. But in this workshop, you get to be whoever you want and get your questions answered from a certified sex therapist. Last time I had a workshop, people talked about different times not working for them. So this time I'm offering two different times. So choose the one that you want, or you can attend to both. So it's completely up to you. So let's go to the conversation today. I was reading this fascinating article on the relationship between jealousy and erectile dysfunction and how is it related and how it show up in the relationships. And I was so curious to learn more about it. That's why I invited one of the authors to come on the show and tell us about this study, what they found and what does it mean for us. The guest today is Gavin Vance. Gavins is a PhD candidate studying evolutionary psychology under the supervision of Dr. Todd Shackelford. He received his Bachelor of Science in Psychology from the University of Michigan, received his Master of Science in Psychology from Oakland University after defending his master thesis. His research interests are focusing on human-evolved psychology, patterns of romantic relationship, and human-made preferences. He published a number of different manuscripts. He has few on the review and just so interesting. And his dissertation work focuses on women's physiological adaptations to prevent pregnancy during rape and evaluate vaginal acidity and lubrication in response to sexually coercive audio stimuli. This also sounds interesting. I think something else that we have to invite him to tell us more about it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Gavin Vance. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to welcome Gavin Vance to our show. Gavin, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. I am very excited about this conversation. I always read about different studies in the field of sexual health. And I know recently you guys published a study about erectile dysfunction and the relational aspect of it. Before getting to that, I want to hear about your background. How did you get to this research? Your background is an evolutionary psychology. So tell us more about yourself. So yes, my background is as an evolutionary psychologist. So it may seem sort of, you know, odd that I uh, wandered into this area of research, but honestly, I, I really fell into it. This is a topic that my advisor, Todd Shackelford, was interested in for a while, but hadn't really pursued it. And then another graduate student in who was in our lab, but has moved to a different lab, he got a project started with her and she had set everything up. She had the surveys all written out and she had received uh, approval from our university's re- review board to, to do the study. And then, you know, just kind of never followed through with it. And she messaged me and said, hey, uh, do you want to hop on board this project? Because otherwise, Otherwise, I'm not going to do anything with it. So that's how I ended up taking the lead on this first set of erectile dysfunction data that we collected from Amazon's MTurk, which is like an online data collection platform. 
So yeah, I, I really, I just fell into it. And then after she sort of passed the baton off to me, I just ran with it. So we collected the data from MTurk. We did three or four papers out of that data set. And then we went and we collected even more data from Prolific, which is sort of like MTurk, Amazon's MTurk, but uh, you get a little bit better data. So we went back and we collected more data and we're currently in the process of writing and submitting even more papers related to erectile dysfunction and these sort of, like you said, relational aspects of that. Fascinating. Were you ever interested in the sexual health, like sex therapy research? Was that your area of interest? So getting into evolutionary psychology, um, I had never really considered the sexual like health and well-being aspect. I was more interested in sex sort of from an evolutionary perspective strictly. So trying to tease apart or really get at the at the root of the selective pressures that would have been responsible for different sorts of sexual behaviors, like especially sexual jealousy, sperm competition, and those sorts of things. I think what was interesting that the sexual pe- jealousy piece in, in this study as well, So, but our listeners are very curious about this study. Before going to kind of talk about the actual study, Tell us, how did you guys define erectile dysfunction for this study? Yeah, so we used the what I believe is the most widely accepted definition in this field of research, which is mostly medical, which I guess we can talk about that in a bit. But, you know, it's very, this field is very, or this area on erectile dysfunction is very atheoretical. It's very much uh, looked at from, you know, a strictly medical perspective. But the, the way that they define it, let me see if I can not mess up the wording, is uh, the inability to maintain an erection sufficient for satisfactory sexual intercourse. Exactly. So, <laughs> and I always wonder that there's a part of it that's subjective, right? That I think it's kind of like depends on person's kind of like idea of the sexual script that they have. Well, uh, tell us about what were some of the questions that you guys were examining in these research studies? Uh, So in the erectile dysfunction, or or do you mean uh, sort of our hypotheses or the actual hypotheses? Hypotheses. Yeah. So we, I think our initial, what really spurred this whole like line of research that we're now sort of embedded in is just looking at the sort of basic relationship or the basic correlations between erectile dysfunction and sort of abusive partner, partner directed behaviors Mm -hmm. with the idea that, you know, men who have more difficulty with normal erectile functioning, they're going to be more likely to use more intimate partner violence, uh, more intimate partner uh, insults, and uh, what we call uh, mate guarding behaviors or cost inflicting and benefit provisioning uh, mate retention, which is basically like uh, benefit provisioning side of that is more like provisioning your partner with gifts and compliments and checking in on them consistently, whereas the cost inflicting is more derogatory, putting them down, the sort of intended effect that you are discouraging them from seeking relationships or uh, attention outside of the, the monogamous like pair. So if I'm getting it right, so the the hypothesis was people who were struggling with erectile functioning, they were either like showering their partner with love and affection and care, or they were kind of like extra protective of anyone being coming around their partner, perhaps focusing on reducing their confidence, kind of belittling them. I wonder the kind of DV cases, so things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's a little bit of both. So the men who use 
the benefit provisioning, the more, you know, showering them with compliments are also, they seem to be the same men using the cost inflicting. So it's sort of a, you know, double-edged sword in that way. Well, I guess as far as now we're kind of talking about subjects, as far as recruitment, there are data, it just blows my mind that there's a database of people answering questions about their sexual health or it's a recruitment of saying that we're paying this, come and answer this question. How does that recruitment happen? Can you tell us more about that? Of course. So yeah, we do actually, we recruit people and Actually, one of the issues that we've run into in our previous round of data collection and the more recent one we did is that because we're not looking specifically at clinical samples, because we're not specifically looking even at older samples, we are seeing very low levels of erectile dysfunction on average. So the whole sample is reporting pretty low levels of experience with this issue with sexual uh, dysfunction. And these are, so you're recruiting people, they're coming to the lab and you're asking, asking questions about their sexual health and sexual functioning. It was that, uh, I, it's just like, it's so interesting that about the kind of recruitment part, is that how it's done? Uh, so it's actually all done online. So okay. we post an advertisement on either Amazon's MTurk, which is totally online or mm-hmm. Prolific, which is totally online. And the advertisement says, this is how long the study is going to take. These are the kinds of questions you will be asked. And this is how much you'll get paid for participating. So all participants are, are paid, compensated for the time. Yeah, that's how, it, that's how it happens. Well, to me, it sounds like it's one of those more challenging studies to recruit people for. Because even when people, I'm a psychologist, they're coming in for getting help. It's just so hard for them to accept that I'm struggling with this. I wonder that if you see an advertisement online, it would be challenging to say, okay, I'm going to go there. I'm going to accept that that's part of my challenge. So I guess you guys compensating well. <laughs> uh, yeah, something around $10 per participant in our more recent round. And that's for about hour and a half of survey taking. But I, I honestly think what's more challenging than getting people, because it is, of course, anonymous. And these people, a lot of the people on these platforms, they sort of make a a career or they attempt to make a career out of answering surveys. But what, you know, is a little bit more of a concern is whether they're actually answering honestly. And part of the the way that we get at that is in our first round of data collection, we collected uh, these answers from both men and women separately. So they weren't in relationships with each other. But, uh, you know, we had women also saying, yes, my partner uh, experiences erectile dysfunction. And yes, he is sometimes verbally or physically abusive. And then in our second round of data collection, we took that a step further and we actually made sure that we collected data from men and their girlfriends, wives, intimate partners, et cetera. So we made sure that they were actually linked. And then we looked to see whether or not their their answers basically lined up with one another, just to make sure, because we, we thought, you know, maybe men underreport their experience with erectile dysfunction, or they underreport the frequency with which uh, they use verbal or physical abuse. But we assumed that their, their female partners would be less likely to do that. And generally, what we found is that uh, men and women's reports across the board seem to pretty much line up with each other. Well, now we are intrigued. What were some of the findings that you guys had? So in, I guess the, the, the main sort of the big finding is that it's sort of this three-way relationship, right? Between erectile dysfunction, a certain subtype of jealousy, which I can get into in a second, and uh, these partner-directed behaviors. So what that basically means is that erectile dysfunction on its own isn't really sufficient 
to be correlated or associated with the violence and the verbal abuse and the mate guarding behaviors. It needs to, like that suspicious jealousy also needs to be a part of it. So the our statistical model basically implies that erectile dysfunction is associated with suspicious jealousy, and that in turn is uh, associated with all those negative partner-directed behaviors like uh, abuse and, and verbal abuse. So the erectile dysfunction and jealousy needs to be paired together in order for, for, for that outcome? Is that Do I get that right? Uh, basically, basically. So if you look, uh, especially in our the first paper that we published, the direct correlations between erectile dysfunction and these partner-directed behaviors aren't always significant. So erectile dysfunction and partner abuse, for example, or uh, verbal abuse, without uh, factoring in jealousy are, are, are not always significant. So yes, basically. Well, since you're evolutionary psychology person, how do you define that from that lens? Is that related to kind of like how we evolve as, as partner and mating? Oh, yeah. So basically, the the reasoning behind all of this, and I think the reason that my advisor was initially interested in uh, researching this topic is because when you look at uh, intimate partnerships, like heterosexual intimate partnerships, especially, um, you there there is a, uh, an assumption that men should be interested in uh, sort of being vigilant about their partner, making sure their partner isn't seeking a mate outside of the relationship, isn't basically committing infidelity. Because from a genetic perspective, that's one of the most disastrous things that can happen from a man's point of view. So for a man who's pursuing a long-term strategy, he's sort of investing all his time and energy into a single woman and her offspring. If she has offspring with another man, with a man outside of the partnership, and the, the main man, the long-term partner, is now investing his time and resources in this child who has no genetic relatedness to him. That's a disastrous sort of consequence. And men should be motivated to avoid that if, if at all possible. And the reason we think uh, or that we thought that that was so such a good reason to look into erectile dysfunction is because it seems like men who suffer from erectile dysfunction are sort of especially at risk of this happening. They're especially at risk of potential infidelity and, uh, you know, investing resources in a child that isn't theirs. Fascinating. Was there any surprising results that you guys have found in, in these studies? In the first one, uh, there wasn't a whole lot that really jumped out to me other than that some of the effect sizes or some of the zero order cor- correlations were pretty big, pretty significant. So that was, uh, that was a little surprising. In the second study that is, I don't think it's been like put out for publication yet, but it's, uh, the journal has accepted it. We looked at associations between erectile dysfunction and sexual coercion. So Mm. uh, men will sometimes use sexual coercion in their intimate partnerships. And we found a pretty strong correlation between erectile dysfunction uh, and men's use of sexual coercion uh, on their intimate partners, which to me was pretty surprising. But then even more surprising, we found a relationship between uh, erectile dysfunction, men's perception of sperm competition and their use of sexual coercion in their in their relationship and basically their perception of sperm competition was measured uh by asking them you know how many male friends does your your female partner have how much time does she spend with them uh you know and does she like sort of display any interest in them any sort of flirtatious behavior 
So essentially, uh, but we only found that pattern of relationships for women, which uh, I think was the most surprising thing I've, I've seen out of all the studies we've done so far, which is that that uh, relationship between those three variables didn't pan out for men. I'm not exactly sure why that is. They could be underreporting their erectile dysfunction. They could be underreporting uh, their uh, use of sexual coercion, or they could just not have a very good idea of how much time their female partner is spending with other men, which may also be the case. Fascinating. I guess one question I have is about sexual coercion. So if you have erectile dysfunction, how can they be related to coercion? I, I, when I kind of think about sexual uh, erectile dysfunction, I think at times challenges the performance. So the, those, those two things wouldn't go together. It, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I mean, I can try. But uh, <laughs> in all honesty, I'm about as confused uh, about that relationship as you are. Um, and our, our reviewers, the people who reviewed our paper when we submitted it also, that was a bit of a sticking point for them. I think the best explanation that I can offer is that, you know, again, we didn't observe high levels of erectile dysfunction. So I think we're we're seeing men who have occasional experiences with erectile dysfunction, but not a complete and total lack to have penile vaginal sex with their partners. So it, it seems to possibly be the case that when, for these men who struggle, when they can achieve uh, an erection, when they, you know, can stay erect long enough to have intercourse, they may be more likely to use sexual coercion, especially if they perceive that their partner is uh, sort of not necessarily being unfaithful, but showing cues uh, to possible infidelity. Fascinating. You know, I work with lots of men who struggle with erectile dysfunction. Of course, if they're coming to a psychologist, sex therapist, the level of impairment is higher. But the, like how, how I see it play out in my practice is people are avoiding sex. They don't want to have sex because they feel bad about uh, not being able to have an erection. It's it's interesting in this population. There's almost here this sense of entitlement, right? That like when I have an erection, then we have to have sex. What was the demographic? So it was a, I know we restricted our participation to just American citizens. The, I'm not sure about the racial demographic, but I'm pretty sure it was pretty representative of the United States as a whole, so largely white and then a little bit Black, Asian, Hispanic. But the oh, I do remember that in our first wave of data collection, we definitely, definitely skewed young, which is one of the reasons we thought we found such low average levels of erectile dysfunction is because we, I think we capped our age range. It was 18 to 45, mm-hmm. so <laughs> which was a bit of a, an oversight looking back on it. So in our second wave of data collection, we expanded it to just anyone over the age of 18. And I want to say our average age was around 30, around early, early 30s. And tell us about the jealousy piece. Like, do you think, and I know it's personal opinion, do you think jealousy is a trait that the person has kind of innately or it's a learned behavior? That is, that's a good question. So one of the ways that we measured, or the way that we measured jealousy for these studies is that we sort of, uh, we used this measure called the multi-dimensional jealousy scale, which I actually, the more I've used it, the more I kind of love it, because it does distinguish between different types of jealousy. So what we found is that all of this stuff, erectile dysfunction, negative partner-directed behaviors, none of it is associated with what we call reactive jealousy. Reactive jealousy is the 
emotional feelings of jealousy when you catch your partner essentially red-handed. What we found that was significant is that suspicious jealousy was associated with all these things. Suspicious jealousy is like going through your partner's things, going through your partner's phone, calling to check up on them to see that they are where they said they would be. So it's more jealousy without any sort of sufficient evidence to indicate that anything is going on. So that's what is sort of associated uh, with all these negative outcome variables like the uh, abuse. And that makes me think that it may be more innate. But then again, you know, there are also past studies in evolutionary psychology that show that this kind of jealousy does seem to be associated with um, men's perception of sperm competition. So again, going back to those questions like, is my female partner hanging out with a bunch of male friends? Does she flirt with them, uh, et cetera? So maybe not necessarily learned, but uh, spurred on uh, by certain environmental factors, or maybe it is more innate with uh, certain men just being inherently more more jealous in perceiving that their female partner is uh engaging with more male friends and is uh, more flirtatious, even if she really isn't. Fascinating. Yeah, I, I can imagine reactive jealousy is something that I think most people at some degree might experience, right? It's emotion that like you really care for your partner, you might experience it. And it's it's about your skill regulating emotion. But suspicious is a suspicion? How do you say it? Uh, suspicious jealousy. Suspicious jealousy. It seems like more a characteristic kind of feature. I can imagine it comes from like, it could come from childhood trauma, all sorts of things. But it seems like it's that's what that's the one that you say is connected to all of these kind of destructive relationship behaviors. Any anything else that we haven't talked about about this study? It's just so interesting. I never thought about jealousy and erectile dysfunction going together. So was there anything else you haven't talked about? Well, we do have another study looking at erectile dysfunction that is pending review. It's actually looking at erectile dysfunction and personality traits as well. Mm. And our motivation, inspiration for that is we saw, or I, I came across this German paper that was published in 2019, fairly recently, and it looked at German couples and their experience with erectile dysfunction and looked at their, you know, erectile dysfunctions association with different personality traits, like the big five, conscientiousness, neuroticism, et cetera. And so we tried to replicate that because we looked at our data and we saw that in both our Amazon MTurk data set and our prolific data set, we had not only the erectile dysfunction questions, but we also happened to have questions about personality. So we thought, why not try and replicate this? And disappointingly, we found a lot of null results and mm -hmm. what we did find was pretty weak. One of the things that seemed to emerge most consistently was that erectile dysfunction was associated with low conscientiousness. So men who are less conscientious seem to have more trouble with erectile dysfunction. But, you know, we really have, I mean, we have some idea of what, what might be going on there. I think it makes sense that less conscientious men may be less likely to seek medical attention, or they may just be less sort of aware of the sort of negative physiological or health characteristics that are associated with erectile dysfunction, because those are some of the, the best correlates of erectile dysfunction are just poor physical health, poor uh, blood pressure, symptoms of heart disease, those kinds of things are associated with erectile dysfunction. So less conscientious men may just sort of be less uh, aware of those issues and also less likely to seek treatment. Uh, that's sort of the best explanation I can give. 
Well, that is fascinating. And you know what I think about erectile dysfunction? I, I think about it, and I would imagine you, you have the same kind of view on that. The number of different reasons contributing. And as you mentioned, it could be a blood flow. It could be a, a past relational challenges. It could be a high anxiety, all of these things. Do you, do you think, is there, is there a kind of way that research people can separate that? Kind of saying that people who have erectile dysfunction with this particular, related to this particular thing, are correlated with this type of personality? Yeah, and actually we, uh, in our first data set, when we looked at suspicious jealousy and all those partner-directed behaviors, we controlled for general health and heart health. And it's There were short surveys, and of course, we didn't, because it was all online, we couldn't actually collect data on blood pressure and things like that, but we had participants self-rate or just tell us what they think their general health condition was, was. And when controlling for those things, we still found significant relationships between erectile dysfunction and these other sorts of things, these other uh, outcome variables. So it seems to be that something unique is still going on with erectile dysfunction and jealousy. But, you know, yeah, so I think that's that's sort of one way of, of, of separating those other uh, physical health problems. Fascinating. Again, I love reading this study. I, I didn't think that like there are just so many interesting studies that's happening in this area. And I'm excited that you guys have few more journal articles in, in publication. Well, if people are interested to get a hold of you, where can they find you? So I probably should have like some sort of website or a Twitter handle at this point in my academic career, but I don't. So you can reach me at my Oakland email address, gvance, G-V-A-N-C-E at oakland.edu. And also, if it's okay, I would love to plug a, a couple of encyclopedias because I imagine you have a very uh, academic uh, audience. So yes. my, okay. <laughs> my advisor, Todd Shackelford, is currently putting together two encyclopedias and we are uh, desperate for authors. If you would be interested in contributing one or more entries to the Encyclopedia of Sexual Psychology and Behavior, or the Encyclopedia of Domestic Violence. There's over 2,000 chapters in each of those encyclopedias that require authors at some point. So if you're at at all interested, uh, email me and I can send you a list of available entries. Awesome, awesome. So we'll include Gavin's email in the show notes. Thank you so much, Gavin, for coming on the show. This is very informative and hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. I hope you guys found our conversation meaningful and you found this study as interesting as I found it. Write us and let me know what do you think you want more of. Do you want research studies and conversation with researchers and scientists or you like more of sex education material? doesn't need to be either or, but I always get the combination of like you guys want both of these information. That's why we had the episode in this format. What was interesting is about how Gavin talked about sexual jealousy. I don't want you guys to think about, for example, if you had a history of infidelity in a relationship or if you caught your partner with someone else, that's the kind of jealousy we're talking about. It was very interesting when Gavin talked about two different types of jealousy, reactive jealousy and suspicious jealousy. Reactive is the type that you see something, there is some evidence then you react into that. And that's very common for most people. Suspicious jealousy, though, is the one that you are suspecting 
infidelity, but you don't have clear evidence. So that was the group that Gavin was talking about. There's a connection between kind of erectile dysfunction and being protective for their partner, which is very interesting in, in the way of looking at it from an evolutionary lens. All right, guys, don't forget to check out the workshop. I would love to hang out with you one of those two days and you can find the link to signing up for the workshop or you learning more about it in the show notes. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.